Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Liz Loza and a quick reminder before I reveal... A little bit of a sneak peek. You can sign up for Fantasy Football Leagues right now over at Yahoo Sports. Here's the sneak peek. That was not subtle, but me and this guest are never subtle together. It is Jason, not Josh Moore, from the Fantasy (laughs) Footballers. I'm sorry, that's the award-winning Fantasy Footballers podcast. Jason, a couple of things. Number one, last time you and the other ballers, as the kids call you, joined myself and Matt Harmon in a studio without a mask. Um, I forgot your name, like live. Yes. Like we just, <laughs> I introduced Andy and you were sitting in the middle. And then I said, and this guy. And this just guy. went totally by. And the reason I did that, your name is Jason. I, and this is, this is the truth. And this has uh, been the truth since I was little. For whatever reason in my brain, confuse the names Josh and Jason. Has always happened. And in that moment, I thought, is his name Josh or Jason? I don't. I'm going to mess it up. I, th- I don't know. And so I said, this guy. And then was flayed and continued to be. Yes. Um, and then peek behind the curtain, listeners, in an email exchange with Jason and our pod producer, Ragu, I called him Josh in the damn email. <laughs> it was great. And and I, I take no offense whatsoever. We've known each other for a while been around each other at all the events over the years i know you know who i am and i'm i'm committed to josh i'm i'm fully committed and here's the thing you're not alone you are really not alone in confusing the names jason and josh i don't know why that is but i was i i did announcements for my church for like i don't know a decade and then (laughs) there was this one guy who's there every week and he hears my name every week, and he would always, hey, Josh, how you doing? And I would just shake his hand and tell him I'm doing just fine, which we don't shake hands anymore. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me because it is comforting to know that there's something cognitively confusing about Josh and Jason. And so I am not more addled in the brain than some folks. Not most folks, but some folks. Yeah, it's not your, it's not your problem. It's everyone's problem. <laughs> Well, I like that. Um, you know what else is a problem for anyone who's trying to win a podcasting award? You guys. Thanks for beating us every year. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Foot Clan are undefeated. I mean, if it's if it's set to a vote, the they assemble and they make sure that that uh that we get the award. But I think, you know, you guys are are near the top. 
right? Yeah. So we everybody we loves sh- being number three to four. We uh, <laughs> there's enough love for everyone in the industry. Um, will you tell me why don't you, in case some of our listeners don't know, let's tell them a little bit about you and the Ballers, your schedule. Let's just start with some of that stuff, and maybe I don't know one of your spiciest baller takes this year that we'll talk about later. But just tease us up. Sure. So, uh, you know, I we've been doing this show for six plus years now. Um, the fantasy footballers, we pride ourselves on being very accurate and yet also entertaining. We feel like fantasy football is fun and it's meant to be fun. And also it's not fun to lose in your league. So, you know, we try to have a holistic fun time. Um, we've been doing that and we, we go year round. We never stop, although we do go down to like two episodes mm-hmm. a week in the off season. We're about to hit five episodes a week here as soon as August rolls over and we're at three a week right now. So we're, we're always staying busy, always staying in the NFL in fantasy football, uh, which is, you know, our passion. It's what we love. All right. Well, obviously, as you mentioned, the foot clan, your listeners, it is resonating with numerous people. Um, I don't know, despite having such a large audience, if everybody knows that you have nailed a top 10 accuracy score on Fantasy Pros for the last three years in a row. That's a hat trick of sorts, right? Mm. Um, Yeah. I know it's hard to distill like three years in 25 minutes, but do you have any guiding principles when it comes to your roster? Sure. So when it comes to the roster, you know, my accuracy is is much more for projections on players um, rather than roster construction. But I think it's the same thing, right? You're playing a game where you're trying to take advantage of whatever scoring system is out there whether it be your league, whether it be accuracy rankings, uh, projections. And so when it comes to building a roster for fantasy, my my general strategy is I avoid risk in the early rounds, rounds one, round two. I try to look at every player and take out every variable I can. Most people, I think, in those early rounds, and I've seen recent articles that are saying the most important thing is to Go for high upside, the the highest upside. But what I believe is that everyone in the first round has high upside Mm -hmm. because they do. That's why they're (laughs) in the first round. Like, they're all good players. There's nobody that sucks in the first round, but we know people are going to bust, whether it's, you know, they change teams or uh, they're coming, you know, dealing with an injury or yada, yada. So I avoid risk early. Um, I swing for the fences later. I'm obviously a late round quarterback, which I feel like everybody is a late round quarterback um, in this day and age. And I'm also generally a late round tight end person as well. I spend the majority of almost every draft taking running back and wide receivers until all the tiers are pretty emptying out at tight end and quarterback where I, I where there's still a tier of players that I like and then I'll grab them. I think that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I'm interested to hear that people in the first round are advocating for high upside. I'm imagining, though, that has to be positional fence swinging and not right. Like to me, that's who has higher upside between Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott. Right. Like you could probably make an argument for Barkley if you're a big Pollard fan, but we're splitting hairs here, right? Like if you're if you're drafting from the three spot, probably you're going to get Zeke and probably you're okay with that. 
I'm imagining when you're talking about this upside, though, that people are like taking Mahomes at the three spot or doing something wild with a with a wide receiver, which also seems a little bit crazy because there's so much value at that position this year. Yeah, I think pe- people get a little bit caught up with what could be right. If if someone is uh, a running back, how how much pass catching are they going to get? What's their ceiling on pass catching? Right? Is is there the same ceiling for someone like a Derrick Henry. No, he can't finish in the top three because he doesn't get the passing work or, you know, so there's, uh, you know, different within each position. There are different, you know, monikers that will say, this is why this player has the most upside. A new offensive coordinator came in. What if they, you know, go pedal to the metal? Um, But really, like you just pointed out, whether you're taking Zeke or Saquon, they're all great. Their upside is mm-hmm. all to be one of the best fantasy assets. So where I focus my energy is who has different variables that could, you know, be the major causes that, co- you know, either injury, uh, coaching changes, team changes, things that cause every year we look back and go, oh, we should have seen mm-hmm. this bust because he was kind of dealing with that injury and, it, you know, it, it came to bear. Just avoid those players. They're all great in the beginning. I think, you know, you mentioned variables, you use the word changes this year in particular is unique in that we are dealing with a very large variable known uh, as the coronavirus. And so I have been and I've been surprised at this a couple of episodes ago, Matt actually said that he felt like I was one of the few analysts talking about it, not ignoring it which surprised me, I guess, because I'm doing it. But also, I did a show with uh, Lauren Carpenter, who guests for you guys sometimes. And she said that, in fact, you had brought it up, that you were the only other person, which is why when we were um, inviting guests onto the show, I actually thought about you because I, I would like to have a conversation with someone who's willing to say, I don't know, but I am going to try to safeguard against as many unknowns as possible. I don't want to put words in your mouth and say that's what you're, in fact, preaching. But can you talk to me a little bit about your approach to COVID other than a shoulder shrug? Sure. Yeah. No, I I mean, to, to not factor that in is to have horse blinders on and you right. know, just run forward with what you know. We know um that covid is going to be an issue for the season uh that players will absolutely get covid um there is now a covid list right like uh this was i believe breaking news today that uh similar to an ir there's going to be a 3 week ir list for players that get covid so you're going to you know someone tests positive you lose that player for at least 3 weeks so i think there's two different approaches when you're looking at fantasy football in 2020 of changes that you need to make as a fantasy player or as a a league manager. Um, On the league side, you need to talk to your league and figure out what you guys want to do with players that get it. Are you extending the bench? Are you adding what we've been saying for most of this offseason is make sure all your leagues have two IR spots, you know, so that you can throw some players in, you know, whether we we usually advocate for that anyways, but now more than ever, you're going to lose some players as the season goes on or institute a rule, which, you know, we've brought this up on the show recently. Um, if, If your whole league agrees, then when a player gets COVID, allow them to be dropped and they're not allowed to be picked up. You know what I mean? Like until they're until they're able to come back to the field, just it's just such a simple thing, right? Like 
you're allowed to drop them. Nobody can pick that player up if they've until as soon as they're back, they must be picked up by that original team. You're fantasy so, quarantining them. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want the rest of my roster getting COVID. Right. Are you kidding? You gotta you gotta put them to the waivers. Um, but then as a player, I you know I earlier I said you said what is my general strategy? Safety in the beginning, uh, swing for the fences later. That is a little different this season for 2020. That's that's generally how I do it. But I will say that there have been plenty of drafts I've been in recently where the thought crosses my mind later in a draft, do I want to uh, swing for the fences on, you know, a McCole Hardman who could, if an injury happens or something, you know, he could be really, really involved or an Emmanuel Sanders who's just, okay, I'm he's not going to have the same ceiling uh, necessarily, but I know if, if need be, I can plug him in my lineup as my flex and get, you know, eight or nine points. So you, I think depth matters more this season than usual. It is interesting because as you're mentioning those two players, I'm thinking Emmanuel Sanders, like maybe I get ceiling wise 2016 Willie Sneed replicate replicant stat line like maybe get five five touchdowns at best right that's actually what he's I think cleared in back-to-back years but it's hard with a player like that because when you're talking about continuity and changes he doesn't have that we've seen him move from Denver to San Francisco mid-season and slide in perfectly so we're not as worried about that but continuity and injuries are now part of the wrinkles that COVID presents as potential roadblocks right so McCole Hardman and the other thing too when you're talking about McCole Hardman like are injuries going to happen well obviously if there isn't proper conditioning or a delayed training camp or the absence of a preseason what does that mean for potential soft tissue issues or Achilles or ACLs and then the McCole Hardman who could step in to be the Tyreek Hill he was drafted you know really in that regard because the team didn't know if Hill was going to be able to join them given his legal issues that's an, a very interesting it's a very interesting point. So focusing on roster construction and balance is something that you're it sounds like focusing more on this year. You always do it, but this year in particular, it's something you're prioritizing. This year I'm more willing to take the veteran who does not have the ceiling. You know, a, a Randall Cobb is so boring to me. Mm. I don't really care. But this year Maybe I do take him over one of those high upside players because I know I will need more depth. And that's really just on a player-by-player basis or how you feel Mm -hmm. about the league's policy. And do you think it's going to be a major issue where you're losing players? If so, then go more vets. If not, then uh, continue to swing for the fences. Right. Or or vets within the same system, too, because moving systems yeah. then poses a different problem. So along those lines, are you noticing maybe two or three players that are always jumping out to you in drafts? Sure. The, you know, when it comes to players that I personally love this year, uh, I hate coming on another show to a different audience and saying these things because, you know, I don't <laughs> let's keep their their draft price low, you know. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, I gotta I gotta be true to myself. The the first player that popped out um, in my mind is a guy that I absolutely believe in with all of all of my heart. Uh, that is Marquis Hollywood Brown. Mm. I actually think he is a you know in a couple of years we're gonna look back. He's a superstar. Um, there's only been three players. In, I'm not a college guy. I don't watch college football. I don't have time for it. I don't 
I, I, for the most part, I don't care about college football. Sorry, I know that's you know sacrilege to a lot of people. I'm so focused on the NFL now. Of course, every off season, I go and I scout the incoming rookies. I look at who's been invited to the combine. I go through. I scout them. But there's only three players I could think of that while I'm scouting someone else, the only player I keep seeing is someone mm-hmm. other than you know when I was scouting Baker. All I kept seeing is who is this? Who is this? brown guy who who is marquise brown this guy's unbelievable and at that point i didn't know if he was even a future prospect or not i don't follow you know the college at all and so it was fun to fast forward a couple years see him go in the first round and of course when i scouted him as a rookie everything i saw and i loved he was injured he had a list frank he you know the year one for a list frank recovery people usually have really poor production right but he didn't have poor production he had seven touchdowns over 550 yards there's not a lot of wide receiver rookies who have had that level of production so coming into year two with the nfl mvp um i think he has the opportunity to take a huge step forward and where he's being drafted right now affords me that opportunity he's not a starter he's not my wide receiver one or wide receiver two you can grab him as your wide receiver three and have huge upside he's one of my favorite players that i don't have enough share of in my real leagues and I'm I'm sad about that. Interesting. That's an interesting pick and I like the point that you made the list frank because that is an injury that when um athletes come to the combine and present with a a list frank injury it's often a negative predictor of career longevity. And he was able to beat it and you have to imagine another year in the system, rapport with Lamar, healthier, there should be it, a C, a, and again, there's continuity there. There's already pre-existing chemistry and rapport. There, that is a nice ceiling play, especially given his ADP. Um, I like that one. You know what? To that end, I am not necessarily drafting Brown, but I have gotten quite a few very late round in much deeper drafts um, shares of Miles Boykin. I like his 50-50 ability, and I, I think the two of them are such perfect complements on, uh, on opposite ends of the field. So... I, he's he's much much later, right? Like I think I got him in round twenty of the uh, of the Scott Fish Bowl, but he is. I th- I want a piece of that offense, and for whatever reason, Boykin always falls to me in a position where I'll grab him. Yeah, yeah, and and you know you got to think he was playing with a screw in his foot last year. He had that taken out this year, so he's going to be healthier, ready to go. And and if you look at the game logs last year, his snap percentage was so low. Uh, when he was dealing with some of the injuries midseason, and then you get to the playoffs, and he was an absolute beast. Uh, you know, I view this offense as, uh, you know, Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews, mm-hmm. the same way that Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are the tog- target hogs. That you know, there's there's other pieces you can get, Sammy, you can get Nicole Hardman, um, but the the main targets are going to be Andrews and Marquise Brown. And so, you know, if I want a piece of this offense, I'm going after. One of those two. Makes a lot of sense. Um, what about a player that you are not going after? Someone who is on your all-avoid list. And I know, let's qualify it, right? Because everybody eventually presents value. But is there, it, first of all, is there a player that you don't care how late you can get him, you don't want to roster him? Or is there someone that, given their ADP, you'd prefer not to? Yeah, I, I think usually across the board, I'm I'm more of an ADP uh, wait until the price is right. AJ Green comes to mind as someone that I'm not drafting regardless this year, and I could be wrong, and that's fine. You know, you just got to be okay being wrong on those players. 
Um, but I just don't believe that he's going to be able to get back to his former glory. Um, but Cortland Sutton would be a player that I think a lot of people are drafting. Mm -hmm. People love him. And where he's going in drafts, I can't imagine taking him there. You know, he wasn't good in the five games with Drew Locke. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he was the wide receiver 48 the last month of the season. Um, and that was when he had really nobody comp to compete with on targets. Now Jerry Judy comes in, uh, KJ Hamler, they, you know, Melvin Gordon's going to be getting some dump offs. And so uh, Cortland Sutton is a player I love, like talent, just him. I think he would be great. I would love to have him on my NFL team if I was a general manager. Um, but for fantasy purposes, I don't trust Locke yet. I don't trust that he'll have the same target market share of the offense that he had last year, and he's still being drafted as you know a, a top wide receiver too. I, I and I have a hard time swallowing that when I look at some of the names that are that are on the board near where he's being drafted. I'm I'm always going elsewhere. And there's also the second year development of Noah Fant, who's in the same rookie class of as Locke. So to me, there is a, a distinction between talent and not appreciating or wanting to bite on the reduced target volume that you're dealing with when you have Sutton. I mean, is there in is there a range of possible outcomes in which he drags Locke into production and is the clear number one? Sure, but not it, it, to me that risk is not worth the minuscule reward because the odds just aren't in in the favor of that happening yeah it's all about odds uh could it happen absolutely but what are the probability what's what's mm -hmm. what's the likely outcome for something to happen um it is more likely that drew Locke is not a superstar quarterback that's going to be great <laughs> Um, and, oh, that one hurts, you know, though, Jason. That I, one hurts. I, I, I know. Look, anybody, anybody that is a uh, a Denver fan, we actually just covered Denver on one of our podcasts, um, and so we went through the whole team, and we were not, we weren't very kind to Drew Locke. And <laughs> oh. I, I will say this: I did like Drew Locke coming out of college. Uh, I gave him a first round grade, so I, I I don't think he doesn't have the potential to do that. But when you go back and watch the specific games and look at how easy the opponents were and you know whether or not he's going to be able to take that step up i i'm betting against it but for the sake of you and him and Cortland Sutton i hope i hope he takes i mean i never i'm not rooting for people to fail for the most part but uh i just am betting against it well nobody wants to happen more than John Elway so yeah th that will will scrub him of a few i think you know if if Locke is able to ROI, then he then Elway is absolved of many a quarterback sin ahead of Locke. So I mean, every I opportunity love, is there. I love what this team has done this offseason across the board. Uh, so Elway's gotten a lot of flack recently, but on defense, on offense, bringing in Glasgow at center, um, you know, getting A.J. Bouye, the, the, the team should be good. It's all just on Drew Locke's shoulders. Is he a quarterback that can carry your franchise as a franchise quarterback or not? Good luck. It, it, it will be interesting. I mean, my, I, I am just going to say this for Drew Locke because like you, I did give him a first round grade and I did like him coming out of Mizzou. He did have a different offensive coordinator three of the four years he was in college. So he was never able to like really focus on mechanics. He was asked to do different things every year. 
Um, so I think continuity is important to him. I also think he's developed a little bit more swag and a little bit more confidence. When you, as you were talking, I was like, is, is he going to be able to do this on his shoulders? Well, what did we know? That he would just kind of like freak out and, you know, try to make a play with his body. What was it? A, a, try to cash a check. That was, what is that phrase? You know what I'm trying to say? Like he's going to um, write a check that his body can't cash. Yeah, there it or is. Or something like that. Um, Close enough. But sure. Um, but he makes some weird decisions is the point, right? That he was comp to Jay Cutler. There were some, some DGAF moves all over the field. And I, though, am wondering if that you can say that that's a sign of him having the confidence necessary to be a leader and to lift this team and to be the cog that puts it all together. Or... You can also view it as him not being cool. He's no he's no Joe Cool, right? He's no Joe Burrow. He's not like he is obviously flustered. So remains to be seen. I out of curiosity, as we're talking about this, what are your thoughts on Tampa Bay? Because I think to me, Tampa Bay is like one of those big teams that COVID could affect more than people are anticipating. Is that just because of their geography? Is that Oh no, no. Um Although, yes, but no. Um, it's because I think that there are so many new pieces and the offensive line, I've said this on previous episodes, is so integral to that team's success since they do have a 43-year-old statue under center. And if um, COVID were to take out that O-line, what happens? Like, that is not a team that can lose the trenches by any means. And if players are all practicing together in pods of sorts, then that's at a higher risk. Also, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we're, we're putting this is one of the hyped teams, one of the more hyped teams for, for a lot of reasons. But I think that it's also one of the most curious um, in terms of the virus, too. Like, I, I don't know. There's just well, well, well go ahead. Sure. What, yeah. Well, we already know, at least if his word is true, Donovan Smith has said he's not going to. Right. You know, he's not going to play. That's the left tackle. So if he sits out the season because of COVID, that's not good for, uh, you know, old man Brady. Um, that's not good for Ronald Jones. Um, that being said, um, I don't think there's another team that has spent more time this offseason practicing together. Mm -hmm. That You know, Brady has come in and said, I don't care what the laws are. I don't care what the NFL says we can, can't, should, shouldn't do. We're practicing, and you know he's he, look. He's a goat for the re, for a reason. Um, it, he didn't luck into six Super Bowls, so I think he's going. He's well aware of their needs and their uh, struggles, and so if I have to bet, I'm probably going to bet on Tom Brady. But we'll see as the season gets uh, closer and m more definitive action is taken with, with COVID. And we know whether they get a preseason or whether training camp is delayed and, mm -hmm. uh, all of those things. You're right that there's a lot of changeover whenever you change your quarterback and presumably a lot of the system. Um, but you know, that's, they're not alone there. You know, Phillip rivers is coming into the Colts and, there's plenty of teams that have a, a new quarterback or could have, you know, is Nick Foles going to be the starter yeah, for the Bears? He is if so, going to be the starter. Well, if he is, then yeah. there's then there's a change. But that continuity, uh, with, that, that continuity, I think, is different because every single coach on the whole of that offensive squad has coached Nick Foles. So to me, that the continuity argument there doesn't hold as well. I mean, that's part of the reason I think that Foles got signed before Cam Newton, frankly, was because 
there was a pre-existing knowledge of this player and his talent and his skill set. So it seems it seems more seamless to me. Um, Ironically, my other my other example of Philip Rivers also played with the offensive coordinator in the past. So, <laughs> so you know, it speaks to your worry of whether Tom Brady can get into this system. And really, I've I've wondered from the beginning whose system is it? Is this Arian's system that Brady's or, playing in? Is it, Brady? or is this Brady's system yeah. that that Arians is managing? Are there any players that you're having trouble ranking? Like just hard to rank players or players that stick out is a couple of weeks ago we talked about um, having doing doing a bunch of mocks or doing eliminators or Scott Fishbowls and being like wow Keenan Allen's going late like why why am I reticent to pull the trigger on Keenan Allen and then that forced a deep dive of stats mm-hmm. and tape it's, is there any are there any players like that who you're sort of like having aha moments about that you maybe didn't realize at first. There's two players that come to mind. Um, One is on the the Buccaneers, is Ronald Jones. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have been a diehard Ronald Jones hater since he came out. When he when he came out as a rookie, I had this uh, you know famous for our audience show where I got my eyes. uh, I had to go to an eye doctor, and so I had to wear these sunglasses for the show, and it just gave me the boldness to speak what I really felt. (laughs) And I just. I just said how Ronald Jones sucks and he's an absolute bust and do not draft him. And it worked out great because his rookie year was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, last year he was much better, but you never could. Uh, if you started Ronald Jones in the right games, good for you. You you know go bet Vegas because as soon as you thought he was going to have a great game, he got five carries. Um, so I've been I've been kind of anchored to my hatred of Ronald Jones. That's too strong a word, but my dislike. Um, But I'm coming around on it. You know, I went back and I watched film on Ronald Jones, watched about half of his season, uh, especially the second half of the season. And I was impressed by his his breakaway speed, his runs. Uh, I don't think he's hard to tackle, but if you miss the tackle, you know, if you you get your arms around him, you're going to take him down. Uh, if you get your hand on him and a little bit of contact, but you don't take him down, he's gone for 30 yards. So I've been rising on him a little bit more, which is really off brand and off putting. Uh, and that, which is why, you know, I struggle. The other struggle comes with a guy who I think is super talented. I love, but when I stat him out as a team, we stat every player out, uh, you know, and, and the team stats make sense. He's not that great for me is Austin Eckler or as we call him awesome Eckler okay and everybody everybody loves Austin Eckler for fantasy this year um well not the fantasy football counselor oh no am I on board oh no I don't want to be tied to this because I'm not all (laughs) I now love Austin Eckler um no the uh the the truth is I think that uh Philip Rivers uh, his propensity to pass to the to the running back um, the amount of fantasy points that Austin Eckler got from the receiving work. Um, and I don't think he's going to be an absolute workhorse back. Uh, you know, you they drafted Joshua Kelly to have Justin Jackson. Will he be the leader? Yes. But when I look at the passing volume of that team and I compare it, you know, to, to years past, Anthony Lynn was the head coach. Or, or back then, he was the offensive coordinator with Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. And they had a fine team, but they did not throw the ball a lot. And I think with Justin Herbert slash Tyrod Taylor, they're not going to be throwing the ball a lot in this organization. And when they do and the pocket collapses, I don't think it's going to be the Austin Eckler dump off. I think it's going to be the Tyrod Taylor scramble. Yep. And so if he ends up losing 
40 or 50 targets, which I think is reasonably possible, that's going to crush where he got his fantasy points from last year. He's still an outstanding player. Um, one of my favorite players to watch his workout videos. He's, you know, doing the one-arm pull-ups. He's incredible. Uh, but I I, uh, I worry with where he's being drafted. He won't make it to any of my rosters because I think the passing game work goes way, way down. Philip Rivers has targeted the running back position via the air over 26% of the time during his career as a starter. So it's an excellent point made. Um, it's also interesting, and I love that you mentioned Tyrod in Buffalo because he did not target LaShawn McCoy, certainly a talent, certainly back then one of the most elite talents, right? Um, comps similarly to Austin Eckler. You can see where there's overlap in sure. those skill sets, right? And he did not, in fact, uh, target LaShawn McCoy heavily. Who he did target is the player that I have had a turnaround about also on the Chargers is Hunter Henry. And we do these fantasy team previews. And I was like, well, Hunter Henry, I mean, too many mouths to feed. Uh, he can't stay healthy, right? All the narrative things, all the knee-jerk narrative. And I had liked him previously, but you know, we got Mark Andrews now, and I'm looking at John U. Smith because, like you, I like to draft later. What about Mike Gusecki? Or heck, I could even get talked into a post-post-hype sleeper uh, Chris Herndon situation. And now, now we're talking, and Henry's always going in a place where I'm not really in the market for a tight end, except would it surprise you if Hunter Henry led all of the Chargers pass catchers in targets at the end of the season, assuming that both quarterbacks are under center because – Tyrod Taylor does love himself as Charles Clay, a tight end, and Justin Herbert may not, but Hunter Henry is a gift to quarterbacks. I think he had the best passer rating per PFF when heavily targeted, so Justin Herbert's going to learn to love him real fast. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We we obviously just did the Scotty Fishbowl as well, yeah. and we are... I mean, you just laid out exactly my view of Hunter Henry in drafts. Every time I get to where it's Hunter Henry's the next best tight end, I'm out because I'm not. There's too good of other wide receivers yeah. and running backs. Not an indictment on him, but in the Scotty Fishbowl League, Hunter Henry dropped quite a bit, and I was wanting to take him. And the I got outvoted by the other two. We ended up. Oh, with you vote Blake you Jar draft as a squad. The three of you draft. We your do. Own. We oh, okay. Yeah, we kind of have one joint team, um, but we ended up not taking him. I wish we did. After that, looking deeper into the numbers, because I brought up the Charles Clay argument as well, and Mike reminded me. So no. Charles Clay had a nickname on our show. His nickname was Mr. Necessary. And the reason we called him Mr. Necessary is because he was all that was left mm. for that team. Sammy Watkins gets injured. They have no other. So we we were all in week after week after week. you got to sign Charles Clay off the waivers. you got to play him. He's going to be good because he's Mr. Necessary. They don't have another choice but to throw him the ball. So that kind of did throw a little cold water, remembering back then that it was like he was last man standing. Uh, but Hunter Henry's a good player, mm -hmm. and I, I I don't think he'll be out target. I don't think he'll out target um, Keenan Allen, but he will be valuable for tight ends. I just don't usually draft the middle round. Mm -hmm. The middle round tight ends historically bust i mean if you're talking like fifth sixth round tight ends 
those do not have a good rate of being right. Was Jared Cook? Jared Cook was pretty solid last year, though, right? And he was going about that spot. He might be the anomaly, but also attached to an offense that you have that has incredible continuity and you definitely want a piece of, right? You're going to take the Saints over the Chargers, whatever the Chargers look like in 2020. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, well, OJ Howard, I think, was really the, oh, no, the fifth girl. round tight end. I'm just saying he was the fifth round tight end of average draft position last year that was the complete bust. The guy this year that is that to me, and I hate this because I like the player, he's one of our favorites on our show, is Darren Waller. I mean, we love the Wallerists. Yep. We love him. And here's the thing is that, you know, he was kind of Mr. Necessary last year. Uh, you know, when they lost Tyrell Williams at the beginning of the year, Hunter Renfro wasn't really involved yet. He was a dominant player then. He was dominant when... Hunter when uh, Hunter Renfro went down to injury, but when Hunter Renfro started getting it going, Darren Waller kind of took a little bit of a back seat. Mm -hmm. And now, what did they do in the off season? They went and drafted a bunch. So now you got Tyrell Williams back healthy. You've got Hunter Renfro going into year two. They're the first team to take a wide receiver in the draft with Henry Ruggs. Yep. Uh, they add uh, Nelson Aguilar in off season. I mean, they're they're Brian obviously Edwards wanting too. and South Brian Carolina Edwards. Product, so yeah. You look at the moves they're making, and I don't think Darren Waller is going to be uninvolved. The, the team really does run through the tight end position. Uh, Gruden has said that before. But I don't think he's going to be as targeted as he was last year. Mm -hmm. And if the touchdowns, which should come up, but if they stay to where he's not necessarily – he has not proven himself as a goal line guy. And if he doesn't have that in his arsenal – um and the targets go down then you're going to be disappointed uh, because of where you're taking him in a draft he's in that place where there's really good running backs and wide receivers on the board just take them yeah it's um it's the roster construction discussion again um at the top of the show which is when we discussed that particular point you also mentioned upside running backs versus maybe higher floor running backs and acknowledging that they're all mighty. Derrick Henry, obviously, I think is probably the most um, divisive of the first round running backs because of this ceiling to floor expectation. He also put a wrench in the whole running backs don't matter conversation with <laughs> this giant extension four years, 50 million, half of that, more than half of that, 25.5 mil guaranteed. How do you see this playing out in Tennessee? And not for nothing, props to Ryan Tannehill for getting loud about getting Henry paid because, you know, that fool does not want to pass the ball. No. He'll not. hand it off, and but he, he doesn't want to put it in there. And just imagine, <laughs> just imagine. See, here's the difference, right? Like, Zico Elliott got, what, a 90-plus million-dollar contract, highest-played uh, running back in, in history. If Zeke went down, and I think Zeke is a better – like, if I was drafting um, for an NFL franchise, I'm a GM, I'm taking Zeke ahead of – uh Henry for sure but if if Zeke goes down Dallas is fine they're not gonna suck the Pollard will step up the, the offense will go could you imagine if Derrick Henry goes down what are the Tennessee Titans what is their you know what I mean identity. like they are gonna be a completely different team because he is their identity and so I think this is actually one of those really really rare running back contracts I think is good it's technically most of the guaranteed money is really smart it's it's mostly in those first two years. I think after two years, they can cut him with a $6 million dead cap, um, which is, you know, very little for a $50 million contract. So uh, I, I think they need him. And he is the one player in the NFL that I'm an analytics guy. 
over film. I would much rather have um, evidence, uh, historical data that backs up my beliefs. He's the one guy that I throw all that out the window with because he is truly a human being outlier. You look at him next to other big running backs, and those big running backs are tiny. Mm -hmm. You watch the film and people can't tackle him, especially as games go on, as the season goes on. Um, he's truly uh, an analytical nightmare because he breaks, you know, you can't be in the top five in fantasy if you don't catch the ball. And, and but asterisks, so long as you're not Derrick Henry. Right. And when he does catch the ball, he goes to the house for 75 yards. It's so, unbelievable. So you're fine. Are you, to that end, acknowledging that he's an anomaly in the first round? Usually the fifth running back off the board going around the sixth spot after McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott, and Kamara. Are you comfortable take, if you're drafting out of the seventh spot, are you taking Henry or are you taking another wide receiver or are you preferring a higher floor player like Nick Chubb and you're not coming at me with some Kareem Hunt nonsense? No, so like Nick Chubb is a great comp, right? Because he's another um, non-pass catching running back that uh, you know is is a is a great runner, mm -hmm. but he's he isn't the anomaly. He is the analytical guy that I'm like, well, whatever. I want I want the anomaly in Derrick Henry, but I wouldn't take him there. Um, but that's more based on my belief in other specific players, um, specifically. Kenyon Drake is a guy mm. that I, you know, we are local here in Arizona, um, and I have absolutely loved Kenyon Drake since he came out of college. He was, uh, you know, I just wanted him to land somewhere special because I thought he was an elite talent. And unfortunately, he went to the Dolphins. He was mired in the backfield, and then he got paired with Adam Gase, the worst head coach in the league. Um and every single time as a Dolphin, when everyone else was injured and they had to give Kenyon Drake the ball, he dominated for fantasy. Just absolutely dominated. Then he comes over to the Cardinals, gets the opportunity, and dominates. Um, then they trade away David Johnson, sign him to a, you know, a, a transition tag. They're paying Kenyon Drake. They got rid of David Johnson. Um, if you look at the Cardinals last year and you just take whoever their RB1 was on a weekly basis, because uh, there was a week where it was Chase Edmonds at the beginning of the year, obviously, it was David Johnson. Then the Arizona Cardinals were the running back three. So I believe that it will be the Kenyon Drake show in Arizona. Uh, he'll catch the ball. He'll rush the ball. He will rush against light boxes with this receiving core. I think he is talented. I think the pace of play will be up, and I think the the scoring volume of the the Arizona Cardinals offense, which was great at getting to the red zone and terrible at converting, will hopefully be better with year two uh, head coach, year two quarterback. I, I can't imagine it gets worse. I can't really even imagine it stays the same considering how bad it was. So he's a guy that I am, you know, when you said earlier in the show who's like maybe an unexpected like super blow up potential guy. That was the first name that came to mind because I'm I think I'm much higher on Kenyon Drake than most people. Well, I like what you said. You briefly mentioned Chase Edmonds because I have never been a Kenyon Drake believer. My issue with Drake, even when he flashed in Miami over the month of December has been and then this past December was been, well, can I can I see it for more than four weeks at a time? And I understand the Adam. I mean, I'm a Bears fan. I understand the Adam Gase argument. It pains me to understand the Adam Gase argument. That said, when you look at 
Chase Edmonds and what he was able to do last year in Arizona, you think exactly what you said. Oh, this is this is the system. And Kenyon Drake is talented and he is more talented than Chase Edmonds. So I believe then that I can do some I I can, can tell myself a story in which his production shoots through the roof. I am I understanding you, however, that you are taking Drake ahead of Henry and Nick Chubb. Yes, that is correct. He's I your number taking, five ranked running back. Uh, I believe he is a little lower than that. Technically, I have Dalvin Cook ahead of him. Okay. But Dalvin Cook is obviously a big question mark mm-hmm. with the holdout situation, um, which is ironic because I have taken Dalvin Cook over Kenyon Drake recently, which does not go by my normal strategy of avoiding risk. But in each time, it, it, there's two places that I've taken Dalvin Cook. Both times I was able to get... Uh, Alexander Madison in the eighth. And I feel like if I if you're able to do that, then the risk is gone. So I'm going to do a little because I think it's helpful to quantify Josh Jacobs or Kenyon Drake. Oh, I love Josh Jacobs, but it's going to be Kenyon Drake. Um, Joe Mixon or Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake. OK, Derek Henry or Kenyon Drake. As... You said Kenyon Drake, right? Kenyon Drake. They are very, very close in my rankings, almost identical total scoring. Um, but I, because they are like basically identical points, I would rather have points that can come from a guy that could catch the ball because of game script. You can't get necessarily game scripted out. That's kind of a tiebreaker there, but I see them in the same exact tier. Okay. So he's your running back six or seven, depending on your mood that day. Exactly. Depending on the heat in, in Arizona. Depending on how I feel about whether I can get Alexander Madison late in this room of other people I'm drafting with or not. Okay, got it. All right. Last point I want to discuss. Um, Washington. We have been talking about a very bad team for many bad reasons for weeks now. And um, the hits keep coming. On the field, the Washington football team lost their second-year player. He was drafted in the sixth round out of NC State, Calvin Harmon. He went down with an ACL injury. I have quietly loved snatching. When you're talking about players you don't want people to know you're targeting, Antonio Gibson has been that for me. To me, he is a wonderful hybrid player. When Ron Rivera quietly comped him to CMC, I was like, oh, I see you. Okay, this is going to be a nice value. And because he's a rookie, I don't think enough people know about him. But now that Harmon is out... You have to imagine that Gibson's ADP is going to shoot up, right? Or is there? Are you one of these Sims believers? Oh, so I am a Sims believer. Um, I, I think Stephen Sims is a quality player. I think Gibson's ADP will go up, and it will continue to go up as it has. But I, I don't actually see that as uh, the Harmon injury. I, I, I view it's not, Antonio it's Gibson. Not. I just think it like limits the opportunity. It's definitely not. Um, let me qual- qu- let me clarify that it's definitely not a one for one. This guy does the same job, but I think it's one less question mark, and so therefore the volume can be narrowed a bit. Yeah, it might uh, allow him to get involved in the passing game. He's a converted wide receiver, mm-hmm. um, but he he was drafted as a running back. I believe he will be a running back. We have he is literally uh, on our show our favorite l- late round, and mm-hmm. unfortunately he used to be able to be a last round yeah. pick. You know, we would grab him every, if we're doing a mock draft, if we're doing some industry thing, 
every last round was Antonio Gibson, and we we can't we got we got too used to that, and then we started missing out on him in every draft because he was no longer going there. Um, the upside is tremendous, and I believe Antonio Gibson. The question about whether or not he will be good for fantasy is answered in Darius Geis. Is Darius Geis able to sustain health? I think he will get the clear first opportunity. If he's good, then Antonio Gibson will probably be irrelevant. He'll be kind of a a gadget player getting a couple carries, a couple targets, and not usable. But the film on Antonio Gibson is great. Uh, You... I love me a 220-plus pound running back who can catch the ball and run like the wind. It reminds me of a rookie, David Johnson. So I know Mike and myself are very in on the Gibson train. Oh, I love hearing that. I did a rookie snapshot pod series of podcasts with Eric Edholm, and I said that he was my favorite under-the-radar, not-really-discussed rookie that had been drafted in a position, by the way, that could have immediate fantasy impact. So we are definitely on uh, Team Gibson. Now, you're right. I think he's going in the, like, 11th or 12th rounds now. It's the 13th yeah, used to be it. Yeah. People, stop. stop. Don't, don't, don't. Look, if you're doing mock drafts, which you should be doing, don't draft Antonio Gibson and don't draft Marquise Brown. Do us this favor, okay? Thank you. Just don't, don't draft them in your mocks. Draft them in real life. Is, that, is it that hard? I think we should stop right there. You all should listen to Jason, not Josh. Don't know who that guy is. And you should follow his lead here. We on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast will be back on Tuesday. You can subscribe to the Yahoo Sports NFL Podcast with Therese Paler and Charles Robinson. Just another heads up that you can sign up for fantasy football on Yahoo and not draft Hollywood Brown or Antonio Gibson. Can you tell us one more time, Jason, where to find you and the rest of your ballers? Anything you're working on, plug it now. Sure. You can listen to us anywhere you get uh, podcasts. You can find all the information at thefantasyfootballers.com, all of our rankings, all of our work. Uh, And you can listen to our Spitballers podcast. It's just a comedy podcast. That's it. There's no football. It's just fun. Family fun. That's comedy. It's fun. We uh, check it out. Spitballerspod.com. I have actually checked it out. It is funny. I have LOL'd. And I just have to say, Jason, like, I love you and Mike and Andy. Andy and I have had some really deep talks about parenting because one of his children seems very much like mine. And y'all just follow the ballers because in a world of question marks and some dark times, these dudes definitely shine a light. So thank you so much. You can follow Jason at Jason FFL. I'm at Liz Lozer underscore FF. And we are out until Tuesday. 